I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they might pick me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that yep. wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cock. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Welcome back to United States of Dramerica, the social distancing in my garage edition. And I am very excited to have with me, across Zoom, across Los Angeles, Jerry Cottle Jr. Welcome, sir. Hello. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm, exci- I'm good. I'm excited for this. You're on the show because uh, you like whiskey. So that's obviously one important character. Like drinking and whiskey is just one of those fine drinks, isn't it? You are the founder of the Rooftop Cinema Club. This is true. Um, and you have a fascinating backstory, as they might say yes. in movies. Yes, it was, uh, it was, it's a bit different, that's for sure. But before we get into any of that, my stellar opening question. Here we go. How are you and how are your family during these times? Oh, that's, aren't you lovely? Lovely. Ask me that before I get drunk, so they might, the answer might be different, right? So that's very clever, Dan, doing that right at the beginning. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. It's obviously been a, a testing time, but personally, uh, it's, it's actually been a good time for me, my wife, Amy, and little Jerry Jr. He's Jerry the third. When I tell you that backstory in a bit, that'll make a bit more sense. Uh, so they're great. It's been really great. Um, we've been busy, but it's been really great spending more time with the family. So um, I feel blessed for that. Uh, and, and then, you know, so professionally, we, we were right. We're doing good. We've, it's been tough, like, like it has for everyone. But we've managed to uh, pivot the business to uh, another, uh, another concept. And that's starting to um, show some fruits. And, you know, we've, we've kept the team uh, moving. And so, um, again, feel very blessed that there's some positives there. So I'm, I'm good, thank you. Bit tired, bit tired of COVID, but I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we're all a bit tired of COVID. <laughs> yeah. So I've known you for, I think, three and a bit years. And um, I, I knew you when I was doing my government stuff. And you were a British business trying to break into America with this brilliant concept, which is, people going to the cinema on rooftops, hence the name Rooftop Cinema, with headphones on so as not to pollute the people around you watching movies. So a brilliant business. Thank you, sir. And it was doing really well. And then March and COVID happened and gathering, not just on rooftops, but in any type of cinema, in any numbers, stopped being a thing. What did you, as a business person, do with that? Uh, you know, it was a really funny one for us because um, we're, at the moment, a seasonal business. So we, you know, sold our last ticket on December 20th of last year. And so Jan, Feb, March is always quiet for us um, due to the weather. You know, even here in LA, you could scream, but we want to scream when the weather's really good and people are happy and they're not 
freezing at night. So we've done a, car, a mini kind of, you know, a mini COVID anyway, we've been out of business for three months. So the, literally the week we were about to open, we had to close. So it was, it was devastating. We, we couldn't actually believe it was happening. We, we'd done all the preparation. We, we you know, put a new liquor paint on all the, all the rooftops, repainted all the screens, repainted all the chairs, you know, every year, we, you know, obviously making everything look like it's brand new again, ready for the new season. And we closed the same week. So we were devastated, but, um, but we were, I suppose one way of looking at it, it was like everyone else, we just didn't know what to do. We didn't know what the next day meant. But yeah, what was, what was the first movie that you were going to show and in which venue before all yeah. this fell apart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was Houston, and the first movie I think I think we were going to do Greece this year because I think we were going for a kind of real summer feeling. We wanted just to get back into feeling good. Um, so we normally open with a feel-good movie like Greece or something like that, Top Gun, but we can't play that this year because the rights are taken because the new one's coming out. Um, but we normally start with a kind of real blockbuster. Um, uh, and Rooftop is about escapism, like film is. It's about going there, having a great drink, having some awesome, you know, these awesome views, delicious food, great service. Uh, and the films we show are the films that you can let your hair down to and, and enjoy. And, and they're the films that are nostalgic and you, you've seen, you know, 20 times. But seeing them on the big screen with your friends in a shared experience is completely different to watch them at home sat on your sofa so it's all about the fun we're a fun company and we our job is to entertain people and, and take them away from the monday so yeah so talking of fun yeah on the guest we have on this podcast we start drinking at different stages all right well, uh, this one i feel we should start earlier so normally yeah. obviously i bring a bottle we share it that <laughs> won't happen yeah what are, you, what are you going to drink on your side of los angeles well, the thing is, so, so Dan, we've got a bit of a funny story, me and you, because I think about not last Christmas or Christmas before, I brought you a bottle of whiskey, right? And uh, I've actually still got on my desktop, which I'm looking at now, it says Dan Whiskey. And I've still got the receipt and I've never got round to actually chasing this bottle of whiskey down that never arrived on your doorstep. So then what happened is you recommended I buy from this place, right? Well, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you there. So... I'm trying to remember now. I invited you to a reception at yeah. Consul General's residence. Yeah, yeah. Can you remember what sort of event it was? There were so many of them, but... Uh, God, no. I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't, actually. I'm sorry. Maybe it was that, that whiskey that I'd been drinking, but... Um... And, and you were... We host... We'd host events with a couple of hundred people, sometimes three or four hundred people, I think. Yeah, they're um, great. Very rarely, when everyone was very gracious and very kind and everyone says thank you, you might have been the first person to actually think what a way, you know, to say thank you by sending a bottle of whiskey. Now, the massive irony of this, of course, is not only did it not arrive, I swear, it had, I, I, swear I did it. I've got everything. No, no, I don't know. You sent me the receipt, <laughs> I remember. But the way it works in government is you're not allowed to receive private gifts. So right, had cool. the whiskey actually arrived, I would have, because I was a good, honest civil servant, I would have declared it, put it on the hospitality register, and put mm -hmm. it in for general use, either at the residence for a future event or for some kind of team event. So I actually never would have received the whiskey as an individual anyway. So there frankly, I don't care if it got lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Well, that's good, and that's, that's the right thing to do. And I never wanted to put you in any awkward position here. But I was sending it as a friend, Dan. So there we go. That would have been all right, wouldn't it? It's so. incredibly kind. Now I'm in the private sector. Obviously, all whiskey donations are, are more than accepted. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, no, you're absolutely good. So, so then I was about to go and order some whiskey this week. 
uh, and I got spooked because I thought the last time I ordered whiskey with Dan involved, it never turned up. So I didn't. I copped out of the online order. I couldn't get, was it the Cardu that you recommended? Yeah, I recommended Cardu, partly because I like it and partly because it had the word car in it and we're going to be talking about driving cinema later. Yeah, yeah. So, but instead, I don't know if you're going to laugh or you're going to salute me. I'm not sure. I'm very nervous at this moment. I feel this is like an acceptance speech and uh, it could go either way. Either the crowd's going to love me or they're going to boo me off stage. But I, I got some, uh, some Texas bourbon. And the reason it's Texas oh, yeah. is because it's, uh, that's where the driving has started this year. I so like the good it. people of Houston have uh, allowed us to open up a couple of weeks ago with the, uh, with the regulation. So I thought, well, what better way to celebrate than by saying thank you, Texas, for allowing us to open the drive-in and welcome, uh, welcoming us, the rooftop, with our new concept, with open arms. And it's doing very good and people are having a great time. Uh, and that's what I did. It, it, it looks quite good, actually. I don't know what it tastes like. Uh, no, I'm happy with my purchase. Thank you. Yeah, no, you should be. Um, <laughs> I drink more Scots than bourbon, but I do drink bourbon, and I like drinks from Texas, so that's very good. Now, I have a drink. So you've got a drink in honour of the city, well, the state in which you are doing your new model, your po your during COVID model. I've gone for something different. I always try and pick a whiskey that's related to the guest. Right. And I was thinking, what could I do for you? Is that a funny looking whiskey, is it? Is that what it is? It's not, it's not a funny looking whiskey. No. But if you look at the label, this is a bottle, it's slightly controversial in its own way. This is a bottle of Howler Head, which is a banana flavour bourbon, which is actually incredibly drinkable, particularly when it's 90 degrees. Now, yeah. I've picked a bottle which has got a monkey as the centrepiece of its logo for a good reason, right. which is, I believe monkeys were part of the circus that yes. you were involved in as a youth yes i was yes i was um back in the day uh my my sister had a pet monkey called tommy he was wonderful he said wait wait wait, wait. i'm gonna stop you on that um, yeah. as i just pouring your yeah. sister had a pet monkey those words have never been uttered on this podcast no before. no i don't think many people uttered it. it's the mad mad we're all different now uh, obviously but back in the day when it was uh, you know it was uh, more accepted um yeah. Cheers, cheers, cheers. So I've got, I've got ice. Sorry, Dan, I'm not, I'm no expert like you. And um, so I've got ice. I think that's a good move. Yeah, for bourbon in LA when it's 90 something degrees, okay. have as much ice as you like, that's fine. I don't have ice because there's no ice maker in the garage. Okay, I didn't want to upset you and do something that was uh, blasphemous to the whiskey tradition. So uh, No, it's fine. So tell me about your sister's monkey called Tommy. So Tommy, yeah, she had a monkey called Tommy. He was, he was a wonderful, wonderful um, character. And uh, we just had him on the circus, really. And he just used to stay in the stables. And then he had, he had his own, um, we had a, a big truck. And he had a, that was his kind of pen at night time. But uh, he was great. He used, to, um, he used to sit on your shoulders and flee you. You know, and just take, you know, obviously I don't think I had any fleas. But uh, he, he was obviously engaged in thinking I did have fleas. Uh, uh, and then what was quite funny is um, he used to uh, sometimes he was a right he was a right entertainer and he was a cheeky uh, literally a cheeky monkey because when you used to go into the truck sometimes he when he'd spot you he had this um, we had this dog um, uh, like a toy dog with a Santa hat on you know the ones you win on the prizes so a fake, a fake toy dog but he'd start sort of making love to the toy dog uh, when you came in the the truck so he knew he had an audience and he thought well I'm gonna start um, you know making love to this toy dog and see if I get a laugh out of you so. He was meant for the circus, this monkey, and uh, God bless him, Tommy's no longer with us, but he was, um, he was a great character. And then my mum, before that, I believe, um, and I don't know, but there's pictures where 
mom used to have a, a dog and a pony act and she used to have a used to be a pony going around the ring we're talking years ago we're talking you know what we're we talking here we're talking kind of like 60s late 60s early 70s probably early 70s when she was very young in the very early years and um she used to have a dog and pony act used to be a, a, a pony a dog used to jump on the back of the pony and then a monkey used to be on top with the on top of the dog all doing like three man high going around in a circle i'm not making it up these things did happen um yeah. so I, I i do want to hear about drive-in cinemas yeah which i mean i'm, I'm trying to think of clever links here but obviously driving cinemas are making a return at the moment they are something that traditionally came oh, big top to rooftop how about that there big you go. Top to rooftop somebody yeah. must have used that headline already <laughs> um, but started drinking yeah. obviously you know, you are from a a very storied circus background, and yeah. you know, as a kid, you were training elephants. I mean, I this is not, yeah. so not your group. standard childhood. No, it wasn't. It was. Um, I was very lucky. I had the best of both worlds. So I had a good education. You know, Dad was very good to us. We had a touring circus. I got three beautiful sisters. They're all. You know, one of them was um, a horse rider. The other one's a juggler. One's a trapeze artist. I did juggling and clowning. Uh, I was, as I was growing up, um, we were more settled. So the, the shows were touring that had, you know, three or four big shows touring UK and Europe. Um, but I had the kind of the education and, and the circus world, but yeah, it was, it was very different. It was, uh, it was great. Obviously back in those days, animals was accepted. You know, you've got to remember people went to the circus to see animals. Um, so much so that in the late eighties, this is just my opinion, by the way, this is not the opinion of the circus world. I'm no longer involved, but in the late 80s, Dad actually did an all-human circus in England, spent millions on it and, and lost everything because people were coming to the box office and going, where are the animals, where are the tigers, where are the elephants? People didn't travel back in those days as much as they do now. Now, it's not accepted. I think it's moved on and it's great. I don't, no one wants to see animals in circus, I don't, I don't think. So, I think it's very different, yeah. So he was, I guess, ahead of his time in some way. Yeah, but the extent where actually it cost him because people still wanted monkeys. Yeah. So we're talking such a different dogs. world. Yeah, you yeah. mentioned dogs, ponies, elephants, and monkeys. Anything yeah. else? Bears? No. No. Yeah, Dad had everything. Penguins. He, you know, crocodile. He put his head in the crocodile's mouth. Uh, we, uh, yeah, well, we had. I'm gonna have to do this quite often. Let me just stop you there. He yeah. put his head in a crocodile's mouth. Yeah, because he yeah you used to be able to he told me he used to be able to stroke the nose and it used to make him feel quite tired. And then you could open your head up and, and put him in the crocodile's mouth. We used to have a strong man once upon a time. Uh, he was um, he used did to have a moustache. He he did actually have a moustache. Yeah, he did have a moustache. Uh, but he didn't wear the Tarzan outfit. He didn't go he didn't go full strong man. But um, he was fantastic, and there's some great posters of him. But he used to lift an elephant. He used to have an elephant. He used to go onto this big stand, and he used to actually lift. Um, you know, like a sort of squat and then lift uh, an elephant. Uh, they, you know, they were great creatures. I trained those for a while. Wait, 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 wait. Let me stop. Let me stop you again. <laughs> how, how big is the elephant? It was. Um, it was. It wasn't. A, it was like a. It wasn't a baby elephant, but it was. Uh, it just. A, I think it was a small African elephant. Yeah. It was. It was still a fair, fair size. This guy used to. You know, jeeps used to drive over him, and uh, you know, he used to pull. You know, pull jeeps with his teeth and lift an elephant. I must send you a poster of it. Um, there's a great poster of him lifting this elephant. Yeah. Okay, so we've had just as only monkeys, men lifting elephants. Yeah. We've barely had a drink and we've already gone to the men lifting elephants part of the evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to share the stories. It was magical and it was, uh, it's very, it was a very, um, it's, it's a way of life circus, all I can say. 
I felt very blessed to have seen the things I've seen with circus. Um, there was a real family community. That's the thing. Circus is love over gold. No, you know, people don't make big money on it. They do it because they love it. They do the animals. They love their animals. Trust me, they love them. Uh, and at that time, that's what it was about. It was about people escaping and, and doing something magical. They perform every night. You don't get on a high wire and risk your night every risk your life every night for the money you get paid. You do it because you love to entertain people. And, and that's what it's about. It was a way of life and it was magical. And it was very close. And we were a, a part of a good community. Yeah. And, and both your parents, separately, literally ran away to the circus. Like yeah. The, like the movies. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a cute one, really. My mum is Circus Dynasty, if there is such thing now. So she was born in, into circus. Make a great last... TV show. Yeah, circus yeah. Circus. Well, the thing is, back in that day, it was you know you went to um, dad went to the circus when he was a kid, and it was like going circus Soleil. You dressed up in a suit, and it wasn't you know it's very different now. It's it's more the terminology is um is is it's it's frowned upon a bit more, which is a shame. But you have to remember, it's one of the oldest art forms. It's the only art form that's lasted all these years with zero funding. The only art form, opera, ballets, all had funding at some point. Circus hasn't. It's a great British tradition. Uh, in 1778, um, uh, Sir Philip Astley, he, did, uh, he created Circus in Waterloo in the round. So it's very British. It celebrated 250 years ago, a 250-year celebration, um, I think, last year. Was it last year or the year before? Oh, no, so it would be in 2018. Um, so it's got all this amazing heritage. Uh, but, yeah, it was just, it's just a very – so, yeah, Mom was part of a circus dynasty. and You can go to a circus anywhere in the world and meet either a direct relative or a distant relative of my mum. And Dad, this is the great thing, he did the old age adage, and he ran away to the circus. So he was a son of a stockbroker, so a very normal life, brought up in Cheam you know, very normal. And he fell in love with the sawdust and the spangles and, uh, you know, and everything else that goes along with the circus. And he ran away at 15 and they brought him back and they said, Mr. Cottle, the circus people said, look, we love you, Jerry. You work very hard, but you've got to go back to school. It's illegal. You've run away. They got him back and the headmaster sat him down and his parents came to the school and the headmaster said, well, Mr. and Mrs. Cottle, I'd love to say that Jerry should stay here, but he doesn't work anyway because all he does is dream about the circus. So I can't help you. And dad's face lit up. And the next minute he went and he was back at the circus. And that was it. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Started so, from the yeah. our, for our American, well, for our British listeners, Everybody has heard of Cottle's Circus. I mean, it's it's an institution. Yeah, thank you. Did, yeah. It, did it travel over to America? Will Americans will have ever heard of it? Or yeah, it's um, no, not really. It's one of the few countries. Dad loves America. We spent a lot of time here, uh, and in fact, I think when he came back from um, Oman, he spent about three months here touring, and ended up staying behind Circus Circus in Vegas in a big caravan because he knew the people that run it, etc. This is you know many years ago. But he's the most travelled circus in the world because he's been to, you know, places Amman, Greenland, Iceland, Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, you, you know, all over Europe. He's done so, you know, so many areas of, of the world. That was his big thing. He was a risk taker and he just used to, you know, get a contract and go. But of all the countries, he never really tried America. And I think it's because there was such a dominance here with Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey and the big shows there, which obviously they closed recently, a few years ago, after yeah. about 125 years, I think it was. Don't quote me on these facts. Like I said, it's, it's no longer my world as much. But um, yeah, it was just one of the countries we never did because I think it was too vast and too much going on and there was a lot of circuses here. But he had a love for America. We spent a lot of time here traveling as kids on holidays. So, yeah. so he didn't conquer America with his art form, but you did. Well, I wouldn't say conquer, but I'm giving it a good go. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I think. Um, 
look, I, I love Mustangs. I love I love Elvis. Uh, I'm a massive Elvis fan. So I've I, I've got I love Denny's, which a lot of people laugh at me for. But uh, that again is memories of America traveling, uh, touring with you know Dad over here and, and, and stopping off as a family. So for me, uh, when I started Rooftop, it just felt right. I've always wanted to live here. I've always loved this country, and that's how it happened, really. What, what did you? Did you? How do you? If you don't join the circus family, which I think your yeah. sister did, did you? Did you run away from? Yeah, yeah. I ran away from the circus. Uh, yeah, yeah. I ran. You know what, Dan? I, um, my sisters. Uh, again, we were lucky. Dad gave us a good education, so we were educated on the circus, and then they, we went to you know sort of secondary school. My sister left school on a Thursday, and by Friday morning, six o'clock in the morning, she'd hooked her caravan up, and she was travelling to the circus. Me, I'm the only one of the family who's gone to college. We all, you know, after school, dad was like, you, you know, you have to choose your, your future. We never forced us to do anything, which was great. We're very thankful for that. Um, but all my sisters straight away to the circus, you know, the next day. Me, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I enjoyed going to the pub with my mates. I enjoyed playing in bands. I, you know, I, I did labouring for a few years. I went to college. I messed around. I had some fun. And then, to be honest, I love London. I just then went and spent 10 years in London. So for me, I was kind of half circus, but I was also half, I'd wanted to put in the normal life, if you like. Um, and I just, I just felt I wanted more than circus. And so that was my choice. Yeah. And, and you worked in PR? Yeah. Yeah, I worked in PR for a guy called Mark Bukowski. who's an absolute doyen. He's, he's fantastic. Still a very good friend. He was... Um, he was, he was, he was actually, he was a good friend of dad's and he helped dad in the early years do lots of amazing stunts. Um, at Wembley, we had, you know, we had, um, uh, French wire walker walking across the famous, you know, the Wembley towers, which have got to demolished, but those famous towers years ago. So we did loads of great circus stunts and I just went and spent three years with him and really uh, learned the art of PR. I had also done some time doing some stuff for these circuses, Moscow state circuses and things like that. So I fell into that kind of entertainment world and I enjoyed PR. I did it for 10 years and then I ended up, you know, working for Cirque du Soleil and, and lots of great, great companies. Yeah. Really enjoyed just, it. Just to sort of round off the whole circus thing. Yeah. So yeah. I've been to see maybe half a dozen of the Cirque du Soleil, the Cirque du Soleil shows. Yeah. Um, I think as a kid, I probably caught the tail end of what would be a traditional circus. I can't remember if there would have been animals or not, maybe not, but yeah. the sort of modern circus, which is, you know, very human focus, doing some incredible stunts and so on. What's mm. your view on what is now the modern version of the circus? Uh, look, I, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I, I love circus. It's in my blood. Um, I, I think it's an amazing art form that gets a, a lot of stick. Um, people don't understand its history. Things change in life. Um, the animal question was a, an issue, but it's now it's now phasing out. And I, I still think that's fine. But I think Cirque du Soleil uh, and, and those kind of things are the future. And it's great that they've been able to come along and still keep people interested. You've got to remember Soleil, it's very strange. I was once at the Royal Albert Hall watching a show and there was a lady in front of me and she said, oh, it's amazing. And she goes, it's just, you know, it's not circus. That's the great thing. And I said, I, I didn't tell her who I was. And I said, and I just said, I said madam, I said, um, I said, this is circus. She goes, no, it's not. I said, it is. I said, because everything here, every act you see is a circus act. They are the best acts from around the world. I said, you've just seen some of the finest acts from Russia, China, and the rest of the world. They are all circus artists that have then got training to do ballet and music and dance. But the core of this whole show is circus. But it was amazing how it wasn't seen as circus by some of the general public. Yeah. Well, you get the clues in the name if you... That's right. 
exactly. Um, but it's amazing that perception that it's a dirty word to some people, the circus. Mm -hmm. When my dad was young, he went to the circus, and like I said to you earlier, people were in suits. He went to see Bertram Mills in Olympia in London, and that's when he fell in love. He was like, you know, seven years old, and it blew his mind, and these, you know, these big acts. And, uh, and it was very respected. It was the thing you did. It was like going Cirque du Soleil at the Royal Albert Hall. It was, it was, you know, high society and a great thing. And now it's sort of seen as a thing that's on a field on the outside of town, you know, and the word gypsy gets thrown around. And it's not like that. These are lovely, hardworking people who, uh, who have a passion for entertaining. And I think it'd be great. In Europe, it's seen as a lot different. In the UK, where circles was born, it's become a dirty word. And I think that's really sad. And I hope one day it gets resurrected to be, of course, all human, because that's, that's what's now the right thing to do, but it will be seen again as a great art form. That would be a wonderful day for circus, and I think it deserves that to become yeah, that. I think that's right. I went to see that, well, I mean, I don't know if it was the same run, but yeah, I yeah. went to the Albert Hall. I've seen most of my Cirque du Soleil in Vegas, because obviously, yeah. small footprint, you know, they're, they're everywhere in a small, small area. I went to see the one, when we were in London, we went to see the show there. I can't remember what it was called, but it was incredible. Oh, Allegria, Drellium, there's loads, um, Car. What, what was it? Can you, what can you remember? Can you remember a particular thing? I might be able to tell you which one it is. Was there a particular thing that blew your mind? Amazing gymnasts. Oh, they, well, they, yeah, they, they've all got that in abundance. Sorry, I can't narrow it down. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you saw like a big, big act or a big stage presentation. Because again, Vegas has the ultimate because of course they get to build the sets. So Car. Yeah. And the ones in Vegas, so I've seen the um, O, the, the water-based one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a Bellagio, isn't it? Is that Bellagio, I think? It wasn't a Bellagio. I've seen four yeah. in Vegas, not the yeah. Beatles one. Love, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen most of the other. And I haven't seen um, whatever the one which is sort of semi-new that, um, that they do in New York, New York. Yeah, Zumanity, yeah. that's not... Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that, actually, but I've heard it's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not for me. Um, yeah, yeah. I like, my humans, I like my humans with their clothes on. Yeah, yeah, it gets a bit awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so okay, so let's go back to before we the monkey changed everything. Let's yeah. go back to this. Yeah. So, your response to COVID and not being allowed to have people on rooftops was yeah. cars. Tell me all about that. Yeah. So yeah, so we we closed down. We were obviously suffering and hurting. Um, we were worried about what was next for the business. We uh, obviously, like I said, we've been out of business for a while. We were, you know, um, uh, obviously the finances were a problem. And it was actually our general manager, uh, a lady called Georgia. She's wonderful. Uh, she's in Houston at the moment, running the show. Um, and she just she just said, "What about this? It's it's what a great way to uh, entertain people and be safe." And so we just thought wow that's a great idea and what happened is about two years earlier we closed the driving in london so we opened the first commercial driving in london in 2015 and right. we ran it for about three years at alexander palace obviously you know the famous alexander palace in north of london and also brent cross shopping center of all places uh, quite funny but so we'd um again north of london and um so we'd run it in this place and we did well for three years but we stopped it to focus on the rooftop and at the time, we just thought, oh, we had a lot of fun doing it, and, but we just, it was a lot of work, and we just stopped it. So we came up with this idea. George was like, why don't we do, um, why don't we do the drive-in? And we just, we just took to it because we started to realize that it, here's the great, what's what I love about driving. It's, it's a great American institution. Just a little, a quick history. The first painted drive-in or commercial drive-in was, was, was born here in America in 1933 in New Jersey by a guy called Richard uh, Hollingshead. 
uh, and he created it for his, his mom at the time because he wanted somewhere his mom could sit comfortably watching a movie in a car. And he created it. And of course, it boomed, you know, 20 years after that, it boomed in the 50s and 60s, was the biggest thing ever. You've also got to remember when it started in the, in the 30s and 33, it was just after the Great Depression. So, you know, driving was made for times of turmoil and economic hardship. So what I found this story of, wow, this thing that was created all these years ago to, you know, to lift people out of all the bad things going on in the world. Here it is. How ironic. It's back again to save people after, after this pandemic. So we just looked at it and we basically made sure that we were going to create, we we're going to bring the driving back in a sense. There's still driving here in America, don't get me wrong. But our version, we were going to bring it back and we were going to make it so that it was essential to the times and it was focused on safety almost value because of, of obviously times are tough and community so safety it's completely contactless the whole thing you don't have to touch anyone our staff our staff and our the public are safe value we charge per vehicle so a family of five can come and enjoy it for you know sort of 28 bucks so it can be great value in that sense plus we encourage you to bring your own food and drink so you can save money there and then finally community not only the community of helping our staff and employees back to work before they can go on the rooftops, because we still can't open those at the moment. I'll talk about that later. But the community of businesses. So everyone we've worked with, we've worked with local AV companies. We've worked with the landlords. We've worked with local restaurants. Everyone's taking a, a, a bit of the pie. It's all done on percentages. So if we do well, they do well. And finally, community. We've made sure that every week we're doing two screenings for the community. So we give away up to four or 500 cars a week. Um, to just members of the public who might have been a bit hard done by, or, you know, might be suffering financially. They haven't lost their jobs. They may have even had less, you know, less. Everyone's had to take pay cuts. And of course, also the essential workers. So we felt that, that was a big factor. So we felt this combination of safety, value and community was just absolutely right for the time. And the response has been great. So I think hopefully people have really, um, you know, found it a really positive thing in their lives. That's magnificent. And, and you said 5,000 people have been through since you opened in Houston? Yeah, well, that was not coming up to that probably soon. Yeah, it's well, we sold 5000 tickets in the first kind of week. So it was a really oh. great response. We've got a great database in Houston. And, and you know, they love what we do. And we're, we're very thankful for the Houstonians. They really get um, what we do with outdoor cinema, they come in and have a good time. And they enjoy the rooftop. Um, you know, it's a very the weather's great there. So it's a perfect place for rooftop. And the driving was I think, um, the last thing about it is um, you've got to remember that film is the ultimate escapism, as I said earlier. So the drive-in, it, we feel it's our job to also get people out of their houses and they can come and still, in, you know, be entertained, but do it safely in the comfort of their car. So it's just, it was just, just been perfect. And we're so very are you showing Contagion every night or are you changing up the movies? <laughs> yeah, I know. That was on, uh, that was on Netflix, wasn't it? I, was, I, was kind of, I haven't watched it yet. I didn't want to freak myself out, really. Uh, it, it's a brilliant movie, but... People say, oh my God, it's so realistic. And the reason it's realistic is because epidemiologists were the consultants on the movie. So they right. said what might happen. Probably the same people who are saying, beware, this might actually happen, were invited yeah. on the movie. But anyway, yeah. did, did, you change, did you change the lineup to, you know, to lift the mood or have you kept it as you would have done? No, it's a great question. Um, it's funny because it's actually quite it's, it's a slightly different audience for us um we're uh in the, on the rooftop it's 18 plus because we're more like a nighttime um experience obviously we, we scream when the sun goes down so kids are in bed by that time 8 30 you know in the summer so it's very much and obviously there's, there's a drinking element to it people don't people have just have a couple of drinks it's more about like going to the theater it's coming to the rooftop it's not a rooftop party it's, it's a social event but it's very you know it's very chilled and very very laid back very relaxed way to watch have an evening 
but yeah, so so but for driving, we've you know we've really seen a lot of families, uh, and that was one of the big things we wanted to make sure that we were catering for the families. Because obviously, we wanted people to be outside the house, but obviously, people still need to isolate with their family. They can't just go and start seeing their friends. So that was important. So we thought we need to play family movies. So the first movies were all the family movies. Sometimes the Shreks and you know the Toy Stories. Other times it were stuff like Space Jam and Princess Bride. So fun movies that mum and dad could also enjoy. And then the late movie that starts at 11 was more the cooler kind of dry or Nightmare on Elm Street, a horror movie. So the late night ones were the late night driving movies where people could come and just like snuggle up in the car for a first date. Because that's what driving was, you see. And I love the fact that driving was a great cheap date night. When it first came out in the 30s, they had nannies like protesting outside the drive-ins because they were like you're taking our business because all of a sudden all these young couples had young babies and kids they were sticking them in the back they were falling asleep and they were going to watch a movie till 12 o'clock at night so it became this eight night family night great i've talked to a few people both for the podcast but also you know normal people for normal reasons yeah the last few weeks and a lot of people have talked about sort of back to basics family values as part of the how we're responding as humanity to all of this. Yeah. People are at home more, people are thinking about their families in a different way. Is that part of why the sort of nostalgia of something that came from a simpler time is coming back, not just a necessity of social distancing, but actually it harks back to a day where people did things differently and thought about their, their social life and their family differently? I think you're right. I think it's, like I said, it, it's, it's almost... Uh, it's almost poignant, isn't it, for this time? It, it's really made that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This whole virus, isn't it, really, what's amazing about it is really it's reminded us, and, you know, we all had these conversations, but the things that matter, health, family, you know, dear friends. I don't know how spiritual you are, Dan, and, uh, you know, maybe it's the, the, the gypsy in me, but this is, the way I like to think of this is 2020 is about vision, right? So when you've got 2020 vision, uh, it's supposed to be perfect vision. I just find it um, quite uh, uh, quite ironic that this has come along uh, in the twenty year twenty twenty, and what is it going to? Hopefully, what it's going to give us is new vision. It's clearing the skies. It's clearing our heads. It's showing people the things that really matter: love, simplicity, family, health. The things that are all for free don't cost you. And the one thing that we can't do is socialize. And the things we take for granted are now more important than ever. So for me, it, it is 2020 vision. And hopefully we're going to be a lot clearer in our vision. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that the world's going to go back. I think the world will go back to some sort of chaos for a while. But hopefully the lessons learned will give us better vision and be- better meaning as human beings going on. So that's the way I'm, I'm trying to see it. And, yeah, and, and cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. Oh. Yeah. Do you have people patrolling to stop people having sex during the movies, or do you not mind? <laughs> That's a great question. I love it. Um, oh, God. Uh, I'll have to check in with our GM. But uh, we've not had any... Uh, I don't think we've had... Uh, you find few, tell you what's quite funny. You find a few people that have fallen asleep, obviously, and you have to do the famous knock on the window, and they think they're, you know, they're, they're, they've just watched a horror movie, and you're knocking on the window. That's not the greatest. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, that's, that's ruined their, their night, isn't it? And then you get a lot of people in there, you know, sort of some people turn up and they've got big Jeeps and then at the end of the movie that none no one can start their engine because they, they had the engine off and the batteries run flat. So you get a lot of that and you have to uh, you know, give them a kickstart. So there's quite a few funny moments, but that's the thing, it's quite it's quite there's a real community aspect to it. All the staff love it. There's a real you, even though you you know you're not you're not seeing people and you're away from them, 
there's a real camaraderie. Uh, I think that's quite magical. Yeah. You're socially distancing. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. When life returns to normal, whatever, you know, I don't even know what that means, actually. But do you think in parallel to maybe, you know, obviously rooftops will return at some stage. But do you think you might keep the drive-in business because maybe the world will change and people will want that again? Yeah, we definitely are not taking anything for granted. So we're going to see how it goes, basically. But we are hoping that some of the drive-ins will stay open. It'll be really interesting because obviously it did die die out as a as a kind of form of entertainment. And the reason it died out is because towards the end of the last last century, uh, you know, the multiplexes came along and they offered more in terms of choice, more screens, more concessions, more different types of food, more different types of drink. And that's what took people away. Now, ironically, it's almost come full circle. And why Rooftop has doing, been doing exceptionally well for the last 10 years is because I think, you know, we're now uh, offering more uh, as, a, as an experience. Um, we're offering, you know, better food, better cocktails. We're offering Instagram views. So it'll be interesting to see if people see driving as offering more or, or whether they just see it as a, a response to covid I think it will be a mix. I don't think it will go back to the heyday, but I do think um, it's a great way to watch movies. It's super fun. It's super safe. It's a great family outing. So I do think it, there's a lot of young people that grew up watching Greece but never went to a drive-in. So I think people now, you know, I've already had people calling me saying, oh, you know, my teenage daughters went and saw it. I had the best, best night. They love it. They're going again. So there's that new generation. So you never know. It might have a, a resurgence as a kind of, the, that nostalgic kind of retro thing to do, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the, the, the principle of the rooftop, again, you know, if we can think about the time BC before COVID, yeah. the, what was the reason that you thought people would come and sit on rooftops and watch movies rather than watch those same movies at home or go to, as you say, these very fancy multiplexes which have everything you could possibly want and, and vibrating chairs that you might not have wanted. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, what, I had a weird experience watching uh, Avengers Endgame in Utah and I had to turn the, the vibration setting on my chair down because every time there's an explosion, it vibrates. Yeah. It went on all night. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the, the, what was the sort of basic thesis behind rooftop cinema? Why do you think it worked? Well, I think it works um, because it's simple. It's, uh, you know, it's a great film uh, plus a great location equals a great experience. That was one of my things. I wanted to try and create this formula of something simple and fun. To be honest, Dan, I, I just started playing my, my DVD collection at the time, 10 years ago. I literally just, I had films like Top Gun. You know, look at Top Gun. That so film was, what? I was like seven years old when that came out. I didn't see it in the cinema. Back to the Future, I didn't see number one. I saw number three in the cinema with my parents, but I missed one and two. So you've got these films that I grew up on, I loved. I watched on, you know, VHS and then DVD. But I've never seen them on the big screen. So for me, it was about, can I, will people enjoy watching these films on the big screen with me? Because watching them on the big screen is completely different. Then on how big your TV is at home, it's not the same as being out in a social experience. So really, for me, it was about a social experience. And that's what I think people um, wanted. So yeah. what was the first movie you showed as Rooftop Cinema? Yeah, I love it. Uh, Stand By Me, and I'll tell you why. So River Phoenix, a oh, classic old film, uh, I think 89, yeah, I think it's an 89 film. Uh, Stand By Me, and the reason I, it's, um, uh, no, actually, no, it's not. It's a, I think it's, it's a, no, the reason it's 89 minutes. 
And so I wanted to show a classic film, but one that was short, because I wasn't sure. I was like, people are either going to love or hate this. And the other reason was, it's about a week before I was about to open, the owners of the, the venue that I'd hired the rooftop off um, came to me and said, Jerry, we're really worried about upsetting the neighbours. You can't lose use speakers. And I'm like, oh my God, this is film. Like, and they said, you know, what else? And, I said, and they said to me, have you thought about headphones? And I thought, headphones? Are you serious? Like, I started looking around and I found silent disco headphones and a harder, you know, high 150 silent disco headphones. And I thought to myself, are people going to like this? Do you know, people want surround sound. The cinema's all about the sound as well as the, uh, the visual. And lo and behold, at the end of the night, people came up and they, were, they said, by the way, Joe, we absolutely loved it. What an amazing setting to be out here watching the world go around. And we love the headphones. We, you know, we could hear everything. We couldn't hear the ambulances going by. And it was a great lesson out of crisis comes opportunity. And those headphones now are one of the big USPs of our, our company. And so even when we get a venue where we can have live sound or amplified sound, we don't. We use headphones because they're just amazing. amazing. And it wasn't your idea. It was basically the venue as an emergency suggested it. Yeah, emergency suggested. So I initially just thought, you know, I just wanted to put a rooftop cinema on. And, uh, and I just, you know, I'd seen cinemas in parks. I'd seen them in, you know, different areas around the world. And I just wanted to, the other reason was I was in London and I thought, uh, you know, I want, I want something where it's in the city and people can turn up on a tube and they can do it late at night and have a drink and a cocktail. Mm. Uh, I don't need to be out in a, in a park or a field to enjoy an open air movie. And that's the other reason why I did rooftops. Cause I just thought it'd be a great thing to do. Yeah, yeah, right Brilliant. in the mixer. Yeah. When, you, when you win your technical Oscar for services to the cinematic movement, <laughs> that's a great story that one of your USPs wasn't your idea. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you obviously yeah. love film. I do, yeah. I always love film, yeah. I mean, the whole favourite film thing's a bit of a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What are your three favourite films? Not rooftop, not rooftop cinema films, but your personal yeah, favourite. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm. Uh, I love. Uh, I, I don't know what my three favourite. I love Shawshank Redemption. Um, yeah. Just a great story of hope. Um, I, I, if I love a film, I watch it twice in a, in a row, and I've only done it with a few a handful of films. I don't know why. I just have to watch it again. Shawshank Redemption. When I saw that, uh, when I was much younger, I didn't see when it came up. I saw it much younger. I just loved that movie. I just thought it was brilliant. And I watched it straight away twice in a row. Another one of my favourite films is The Wolf of Wall Street. I just love that movie. Three hours, Scorsese classic. I just love it. Uh, again, I watched that film three times in a row. I just love the, uh, it was just such a brilliant, brilliant movie and just such a funny story. And I just loved it. It was so random and so um, uh, sort of, uh, a bit, bit sort of chaotic, wasn't it, in its own sense. And then I've got to say my third movie, which everyone laughs about, uh, but it, it is one of the, it's one of the reasons Rooftop's so popular. I love Top Gun because... I've always, it's just a fun movie, but that movie is like the rooftop classic. And I think it says a lot about why people come to rooftop. It's just, you know, a great gender neutral movie. It's just out there. It's a classic 80s. It's OTT, brilliant soundtrack, just fun, cruise at its best. And you come and you let your hair down and you know all the lines, you can quote all, it's a quote along. And that movie, year after year after year, just sells fantastic. So it's got a piece of my heart because it's, it's, it's helped create the rooftop um, community. So that's my other third phrase. Because I was, I, was, I was going to ask what film has been most popular with rooftop, and it's Top Gun. Top Gun. Yeah, the Top Gun Film Club. I want to get Tom Cruise. He's going to, he's, well, he's, he's going to make a mistake 
Mr. Cruz is. If you're listening, Mr. Cruz, you're going to make a mistake because you're going to go and play your Top Gun in some fancy theatre when you can come and play it on the rooftop and we can have a flyby go over the top with the Red Arrows or the Navy, whatever you want, and they could fly by. What would be better? Come on, Dan. Where would you want to watch Top Gun 2? On a rooftop with a flyby. You know I'm making sense, right? So if Mr. Cruz is listening, and I, I have yet... There's no confirmation that he does, or, but equally, no confirmation that he doesn't. I think I remember seeing an amazing clip somewhere on YouTube. I yeah. think from Mission, one of the Mission Impossible films, maybe the last one, they did a screening of, Mission, of one of the latest Mission Impossible films on one of the um, locations they used for the movie with a very high, things like halfway up a mountain or cliffside. And they put up a screen and people had to literally climb all the way up there in order to see it. I'm going to find yeah. this link and send it to you because you'll appreciate yeah. that. So he has done, I don't think it was a premiere, but he has done clever things for the yeah, movie. Yeah, of course, to do a flyby and, and Mr. Cruz to turn up and watch it on one of our rooftops. We have had... That's what we need, a venue in Santa Monica and a, and a, a flyby and we'd have the, the premiere of the decade. So there well, we go. I'll speak to some people. Um, I think a yeah. previous... A previous guest on this podcast was Red Five from the Red Arrows, so he may know some people. I love that. They did, they, did a, um, they did a flyby the other day, didn't they? Wasn't it? About, about last week, wasn't it? Well the, the well, the Red Arrows did a whole tour of America last year. Right. Which is when we got the guy on. But they did, they've did. they been doing a whole load of stuff in the UK yeah. part, uh, recently, yeah. Um, good. So, look, I'm, I'm conscious of, of time. This is... A, you might be one of those guests we have to invite back on because I feel like I want to do more movies, but I also want to do more circus. Yeah, I, uh, uh, loads of great stories. What, no, I love what's it. your favourite circus movie? There you go. Let's all bring it together. Uh, oh, there's the, uh, the Greatest Show on Earth. It's pretty good, isn't it? That's one of Dad's favourites. But I tell you what, it's not really a circus movie, but it's a circusy movie. And it's actually my dad's favourite film is Moulin Rouge, Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. You know, it's got that. It's kind of more cabaret, isn't it? Uh, Nicole Kidman's brilliant in it. But that's a, a circusy kind of movie, which I love, which is more of a kind of modern classic now. Um, it's funny because circus movies just don't sell, weirdly, because, again, it's just very old-fashioned. You've obviously got Chaplin as well. His, his version of circus is brilliant. Um, he's great in that. So, yeah, there's some good ones. Chaplin's brilliant. That's a really, really great circus. But Chaplin's mm. brilliant. But, yeah, it's not this, we need some more circus movies. You, I think circus is like, i tell you where circus is really, well, uh, which I love, is Big Fish. Um, you know, you see that and you've got Danny DeVito as the ringmaster. So that's a great one. And funny enough, Circus, this is what's weird about Circus, when it's presented in kind of like Britney Spears does an album called Circus or Take That does an album, they did the Circus tour. It's, it's, it's enjoyed in, in mainstream uh, media and branding, but only when it's done by kind of used for branding. Yeah, it's, isn't it weird when you think about it? When yeah. they do all these great Take That tour, Britney Spears, you know, T-Mobile will do an advert and it's very popular. It works there. It just doesn't work to the general public. So there was an American TV series called Heroes, which I rather liked. Um, and I think in the third series of that, half of these characters with superpowers were in some kind of circus. Yeah. And it, it makes for a great backdrop because yeah. you have all these characters and animals in that case interacting and so on. The Freakery side as well, isn't it? There's a great documentary on Netflix actually about circus and it really delves back into the days of Barnum and, and the traveling big shows. And what, what, uh, unbelievable back in that, you know, that was the modern day, 
it was just it, it's now the equivalent of you know the big concerts that we we see and we're so lucky now there's so much great entertainment but it was unbelievable that the size of these it was a moving village it really was these massive three ring circuses you know they used to move by train all the animals all the performers they're all in the trains you know no everyone was treated equally they were just all traveling along uh from day to day you know and working hard they'd put up a tent they'd perform for one or two days and then they'd take it all down again you know and everyone mucked in that's the thing about circus it doesn't matter if you're the star of the show and you're the you know the big main act or you are fixing the generators you are all emptying the rubbish you're all emptying your toilet every day it's 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 sawdust and spangles but there's a lot of mud involved in those sawdust and spangles as well absolutely that's very good Look, last question of the night, standard question for every guest, um, whether they are a circus performer or a rooftop and driving movie entrepreneur. Last question, if you could drink any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, what would it be, and where would it be? Uh, well, um, I don't know if you drank whiskey, I should know this, but I'm a massive Elvis fan, so I'd have a, I'd have a whiskey with the king um and uh i'd probably have to do it uh, i don't know if you've had the uh the the honor of going to graceland but the, in the jungle room funny you say that i one of my dreams is i hope i can one day afford to build my own jungle room i've always thought about sitting in my jungle room having a whiskey with my mates uh smoking a cigar elvis loved a cigar and sometimes a whiskey and cigar right they're they're a great partnership aren't they so yeah. i'd be i'd have a whiskey with the king and uh, what whiskey would i have but I've got to say, I reckon this one would go down pretty well. So I'd have a whiskey with the king. Uh, but it'd have, well, it'd have to be a, a Memphis whiskey, wouldn't it, if there's ever such a thing? Is there a Memphis whiskey? There must there's, be. Ten, there's, Tennessee, but there's Tennessee whiskey aplenty. Yeah. So. There you go, Tennessee. Of course, yeah, there we go, Tennessee. So yeah, it'd have to be a Tennessee whiskey. Done. Jerry Cottle Jr., thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you, sir. Mm, I love scotch. 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 And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>